Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we're speaking with Steve Brothers. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Bant, how about you? I'm well. It's great to talk with you. And Steve, I'm, I'm excited to learn more about your business. Uh, Steve is the president of Phase Change Software, which is a company focused on the topic of developer productivity and helping and working with developers and automating the thought processes that developers go through to write code. And we'll learn a lot more about what phase change is working on. But before we get there, Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career to date. Sure, sure. I've, uh, I've built my career band around the idea that I want to have done everything I manage. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to do that uh, in small software companies. So having started as a hands-on technologist, uh, as a QA guy, as a matter of fact, back in the day, uh, I was able to do work in uh, both software development and infrastructure and rose to leadership roles uh, in those organizations. Uh, when I reached the CIO role, I recognized that I'd, I'd really like to move to a CEO role, and I got really good advice. To be a successful CEO, you need to know how to generate revenue. So in the spirit of the way that I built my career, I left the CIO role that I was in uh, to go do inside sales. Wow. So uh, the in, and I chose to do it in an industry that, as it turns out, is one of the most difficult to try to sell into. Uh, we were selling high performance enterprise cloud, 100 uh, percent uptime with white glove service. So as a startup, we were selling against the likes of Amazon and Google uh, and Microsoft. Those are those um, are easy competitors. Easy competitors. <laughs> easy competitors in a startup, to be sure. Uh, but I had the opportunity to learn the ropes and had uh, was able to drive the revenue necessary and uh, through a strange twist became CEO of that organization. Uh, I set that organization up for sale and then uh, elected to, to leave the organization uh, where I wandered around trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Having reached that, that CEO role that I was after uh, and what I realized in that journey uh, in the intervening time was that it was more important the people that I get to work with than the job that I do. Mm. So coming into the environment that phase change, I wasn't looking for a job. Uh, I was exploring what the company was doing to, to learn about it because I was genuinely interested in what phase change was doing. Very unique and, and uh, very challenging intellectually. Yeah. But uh, more importantly, I discovered the quality of the people that are here. Well, so, I mean, it sounds like a really interesting company and what a journey. I love um, when I see leaders that have a background where they have really learned the nuts and bolts of how to do everything. And then they're able to really apply that to how they manage and lead a business. And, and now you find yourself as the president of Phase Change Software. What, what are you guys up to uh, at Phase Change these days? So we're working to get a product to market. So uh, arguably what we're building is a, a product that uh, requires a paradigm shift in thinking. 
so you identified that in terms of what phase change software is doing. We're working to automate the thinking processes of what software developers do when they're writing code. And that isn't something that any other organization in the world is looking at, and certainly not looking at it in the way that uh, we are looking at it, because this is a problem that the world essentially can't says can't be solved. Um, so it's been an arduous and long road uh, to position us to take the intellectual property that we've developed and turn it into a product. So we're still on that uh, we're still on that near term journey of uh, develop and deliver uh, a minimum viable product, an MVP, uh, and we anticipate getting it out next year. That's exciting. And, and I can see the value of really developing a solution that would help automate a lot of the elements for a developer uh, through the, the code writing process. Uh, as someone who has developed a product and gone through working with many, many development groups, um, the challenges that you have on the quality of the code and the structure of the code (laughs) is mind numbing at times. So I feel like you're answering a really big need, but tell me more of what you guys saw in the marketplace and uh, why you guys have built phase change. So the, the root of the problem is actually a knowledge problem and not a skills problem. So learning to write code isn't, isn't all that difficult, right? Because you learn a programming language and and you come up to speed on the programming language. Um, But it is the knowledge in the organization about the application that's more difficult to learn. Mm -hmm. So we got got early indications from, you know, more than one CIO that said, you know, it's not the writing the code that's the problem. It's the, the people that have the knowledge of the application. So that presented a couple of opportunities. One, to mitigate the risk against the the knowledge leaving, because Mm -hmm. the developer that has the knowledge about the application, if they leave, that introduces risk for the organization. The other is around productivity and precision. So software developers don't realize, or many don't realize, they go through a deliberate process for how they prepare to and then write code. And one of the key things that software developers do, they spend 80% of their time doing it, is identifying where in the code they need to make a change. Mm. And it's a heavy cognitive load that's required to go find the code wherever it lives in the software repository, the source code repository. Uh, As a result, that 80%, if you could automate it, would have a material impact uh, in the amount of time it takes a developer to do that work. And if the the identification of that behavior in the code could be precise, then not only is it efficient, you're going to have higher quality code because you're not going to make changes that are wrong as a result. So that initial capability, and that's one in a, a long list of future capabilities, that one capability with an 80%, uh, you know, an, 80, an impact that's 10 times, more than 10 times productivity, uh, is just the first feature in our MVP. So just to make sure I understand and I'm processing that in the correct way, it sounds to me like you're almost talking about a, like a search engine in a way that for me to understand like where to find find the right code in a repository. Is that, or am I missing that? Or it, It's a reasonable analogy, but okay. um, to help you understand the analogy a little bit, to, to carry it forward a little further, 
There certainly are tools that exist in the market today that allow you to do text search Correct. or even complex phrase search in code. Um, so those tools, if you think about a, uh, a murder mystery, right? Mm -hmm. I have a book. It's a murder mystery. I want to find where in the book did the murder happen, right? And the murder's not just going to happen on one page in a book somewhere. It's a storyline. Yeah. It's a series of events that is that murder. So tools today, search tools today, if you wanted to find that murder, that storyline, you do a search on some phrases and go look on page three, yeah. go look on page 17. Yeah, go like look a on keyword type search, right? Yeah. That's right. And you as the, as the reader would have to go interrogate, is page three even relevant? Is page 17 even relevant? And then piece together the story from what you get out of the searches that you do that may not even be the complete things that you need to be looking at. Right. So that's what search tools today do. Right. Our approach is describe the behavior. Tell me what the storyline is that you want, and the tool will give you the storyline. So a book will have multiple storylines, right? So you could have a murder mystery that also has a marriage in it, right? So our tool already understands all the code, knows mm -hmm. what all of the storylines are. So you ask the tool after describing the storyline, or as I said earlier, the behavior, give me the behavior from the code. And it stitches together all of the code from beginning to end, wherever it is inside uh, your code repository, or the murder, uh, murder mystery analogy, of wherever it is in the book, to tie together the storyline, you present only the code that is the behavior that you're looking for. Wow, that's incredible. I love how that will function. And I, I can see a million other applications where that would be useful as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly yeah. in the content space, I can imagine people would love that as well. Um, I mean, I can't wait to see it. So uh, let us all know when the product comes to market. But I mean, developing a solution like this, this is an incredibly advanced solution, cutting edge stuff. What has it been like over the last 18 months going through this process of developing this new solution during this pandemic? And you know, what kind of challenges have you guys faced? And maybe uh, have there been any opportunities that have appeared as well? Yeah, we've, we've been pretty fortunate uh, in terms of the challenges that the pandemic created because the, the staff that we have and the things that we're pursuing, uh, we're not a very large organization. And we're, we, as it turns out, are a pretty tight organization. So the dispersity that got created, we went from being an organization that it was important for us to be in the office to help us uh, facilitate and collaborate the the every dynamic associated with the technology that we were working on. And because we had established that trust and, and working relationship between the, uh, between the parties in our organization, when we moved to a, uh, an all remote workforce, um, sure, we had a, a few heartbeats where it didn't go quite right, but we did ultimately find a group. Uh, and from that standpoint, our productivity didn't, did not go down. And in some ways, it was uh, facilitated in terms of what we were able to deliver because it opened up avenues of communication and communication mechanisms that we hadn't used before. So instant messaging, for example, to communicate more actively and to answer questions more readily. 
which is something that, you know, you could walk down the hall and ask that question, uh, but it was more difficult to interrupt in that in that circumstance. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that, you know, I, I would be remiss to not mention this. I mean, you know, I'm not wearing a mask. There's certainly not any mask mandates here right now, but uh, seems like there's a mask mandate where you are. Tell me how that has worked, you know, where you're kind of in offices and out of offices and how, how that whole thing functions. Yes. Well, like most organizations, it's a, it's a challenge to consider what's the value of getting people back to the office in what amount and uh, what is the, the real benefit to uh, having people in, in proximity to one another. And we look at it from a values base first. So health and safety of our employees is the most important for us. Mm -hmm. uh, so our consideration was very light. Uh, for bringing people back into the office. I do believe that there is value in in-person collaboration, uh, but not at health risk to our employee base. And everybody has a different point of view of what level of safety is appropriate and what steps they're personally going to take. So we've been pretty open in our uh, evolution of thinking to offer the opportunity at the right time for folks to come back to the office small team type environments where collaboration is especially important, but being mindful of what's going on with, uh, it was Delta earlier, it's yeah. Omicron now. And since I don't have a crystal ball that works, it's, it's a bit of a waiting game uh, with putting the right protections in place, which is really what our effort has been. Yeah, uh, We're just beginning to see some folks start to come back. So our, our, our QA team, for example, was, was in last week, um, and we've got pockets of um, some of our developers that'll be in uh, probably for part, you know, half days upcoming. Uh, so I think we'll see it in ebbs and flows, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I think we'll get the value out of the out of the in-person interactions, uh, but we've proven that we can be productive remotely. Yeah, it's, and it sounds like you're finding a very human mix on balance and uh, prioritizing the key things for the team. Uh, whilst also kind of keeping the productivity and and I imagine the pace that you want to see to make sure that this product gets out in the marketplace. So yeah, yeah with, with that in mind, I mean, let's talk about next year. How do you imagine things are going to evolve next year? Is this a marketplace that you expect to develop quickly or how do you see, see this software being rolled out? So we're presently working on a distribution agreement with one of the largest software providers in the space that we're initially going into. Mm -hmm. So one path has us on a really rapid curve in terms of deployment because we would be leveraging the, uh, the distribution channel that they have, which is near direct to their customer base. Mm -hmm. It is a brand new product. So in some ways, discussions around whether even in that circumstance, a soft launch is more beneficial to us uh, because you, you don't know what you don't know until the product hits the market. And while we're doing quite a bit of work now with friendly uh, prospective customers for feedback and product market fit, until you get the software in the field, you're really not going to know. Um, so my expectation for next year is that balancing act, Bant, just yeah. as you might expect, right? Um, we know based on the feedback that we've received from all three of the large software providers in the space that this fills a gap in their respective portfolios. They do not see that there is another product in the market that does what we're doing, right. nor any other product that has the potential of what we're doing. So stepping softly 
into the mix so that we can manage our reputation appropriately. Yeah. Anticipating a positive outcome, uh, but being mindful that you you can't control everything. Yeah. Uh, I would expect that we'll we'll hit the market probably pretty hard in fourth quarter of next year, uh, and it won't be until 2023 that we really make our mark in terms of market penetration. Yeah, no, it's a very pragmatic approach to kind of roll it out slowly, make sure that you're capturing all the knowledge of how it's being utilized, maybe kind of catch any any changes that um, that users are, are picking up on that you need to, to make sure that it will work efficiently and effectively and then go big at the end of the year. Well, listen, Steve, uh, it's been great to learn more about what phase change software is up to. Um, you know, if someone wanted to reach you and learn more about the, the solution, uh, where should they find you? The, uh, the website is www.phasechange.ai. And you're welcome to send an email to info at phasechange.ai. Uh, and someone, most likely me, will get back in touch with you. That's great. Well, we've been speaking with Steve Brothers. He's the president at Phase Change Software, which is a company that is automating the thought process that developers go through to write code. It's wonderful to talk to a development company that's developing a solution that will help developers. <laughs> so, Steve, thank you so much for being on Uncaged, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Terrific. Thank you very much, Ben. Cheers.